Now follow along, I'm going to read the Scripture lesson for today, which this message is deeply rooted in. And pay particular attention, if you would, to verse 8. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, for my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Judea and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. I read of the account when France and England were at war. And on a French vessel... There were men who had gone off on a whaling voyage. When they came back, the crew were short of water. And being near an English port, they wanted to get water. But they were afraid that they would be taken prisoners if they were to be so audacious in a time of war to go into the English port when they were Frenchmen. Some people in the port saw that they were in distress and sent word that they needed not be afraid that the war was in fact over. And they were given the invitation to come and get all of the water they would need. There was no more fighting and they would not fall into any danger or harm. But they couldn't make those sailors believe it. And they didn't dare go into the port, even though they were out of water. At last, they made up their minds that they had better go in and surrender their cargo and their lives to their enemies rather than perish from a lack of water. And when they got in, they found that what they had been told was true. Once they finally mustered up the courage to take the chance and just go into the port, they figured better for them to take us prisoner and at least we'll quench our thirst a while before they kill us. But in fact, they found that peace had been declared and they were welcomed as friends. D.L. Moody, that great preacher of old, said, there are a great many people who don't believe the glad tidings and peace 
that has been afforded them in Jesus Christ. And yet, the fact of that peace that has been made available because of the death of Christ on the cross is true. In the Bible, there is a prescribed path to peace. And I want to share that with you specifically from this passage, most notably in verse 8. I would suggest that this this path to peace is readily available to all, even though there are all so many who reject it. I would further suggest that even those of us who have found the initial pathway to peace with God through repentance and turning another way and embracing the gift of God that is in Jesus for eternal life, even many of us refuse to accept that subsequent to that, that that the consequence of that, that following that, we have a pathway to real peace in real time, in the real circumstances of our real daily, often difficult, sometimes filled with drudgery lives. There are those who stand outside the gates of salvation, refusing to believe that Jesus has made a way for them to be saved. How many are those who are inside the gates of salvation and yet only stand just inside? I have placed my trust in Christ and now I'll just go on struggling as I always have. No, the Bible says that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And there is a pathway to peace prescribed in the Scripture. Not only to gain access to that eternal bliss, as it were, the promise of heaven uh, by way of receiving Christ and confessing faith in Him and being baptized and celebrating the ordinances of the Lord's table. There is also, for you and for me, there is a real path to peace in in, in this life. There are specific mechanics. There are, are things we can do so that we might enjoy the with God life, not only wait for heaven for this thing to finally end. Two ideas. First, peace comes through prayer. Secondly, peace comes through positive thinking rooted in Scripture. There is a charge in this passage. The Apostle Paul says, be anxious about nothing. I'm reminded of the words of my seminary professor, all means all. That's all all means. Be anxious about nothing. What does nothing mean? Nothing. Nada. Zip. Zilch. You got any other ones? That's all I can come up with. I try to be like a like a walking homonym or whatever. What do you call that thing? Not a homonym. Thesaurus. I'm just trying to keep you listening. Goodness gracious. I know the masks, the masks are rough, but God remains the same. Conditions are difficult, but God hasn't changed at all. Why should the church succumb to the same drudgery of the world and have the same attitude if we are filled and flooded with the Holy Spirit? If we presently have a hope that exceeds everything possible, negative in this world, why are we not more positive? Why are we not grabbing a hold of that? We would be like the man with a gold mine in his backyard who can't pay his bills, but he says, ah, it's hot back there. It takes work. I don't want to go back there. What kind of fool would find in his basement a vault 
that he knows is filled with an infinite supply of cash. But he says, "Ah, I'm not sure of the combination. I know my great aunt said she'd tell it to me, but then I'd have to call her. I'd have to get out of bed. I'd have to get off the couch. Stop and think of the utter foolishness of the man who has access to all the resource he needs but for lack of just an ounce of discipline to go and seek it out and to understand it and to apply it. He just lives without it. There is a charge. The apostle says, be anxious about nothing. You say, that's not possible. Let's talk a little more. The word nothing comes from a Greek word, meden. You know what it means? Nothing. It it more literally means not even one thing. Humanly speaking, the Philippians had every reason to worry and be anxious. There's no question. They were suffering severe persecution. Look in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. They were facing a disturbance in the church. They're quarreling. People were fighting and there was disunity. Look at Philippians 1, 27 and 30. They had some carnal members within their fellowship, some members who were prideful, super spiritual, and self-centered. Look at Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Philippians 3, 12. They had false teachers, and the teachers were fierce in attacking the cross of Christ, which is the very substance of our hope. Oh, they had reasons to fear and to be anxious. Some of the believers were even having to struggle for the necessities of life, food, Clothing, shelter. So you see, it's not possible for us to reasonably dismiss this command or this instruction or this charge of Paul by saying, well, you don't know my circumstances. We might dismiss it on other grounds, say unbelief in God's Word, say a refusal to take a look in the basement and unlock the treasure chest that we have at our disposal. Maybe those are reasons we might do it, but they're not legitimate reasons that we ought to do it. They were struggling in every possible way consistent with how we can be struggling. And yet in that, bold, audacious Paul says, don't struggle with anxious thoughts, with self-defeating negativity. Don't be anxious about even one thing. Here's some practical tools that I hope are helpful for you. I know that when I am faithful in applying them, they have proven helpful for me. In the anxious moment, and that implies before the anxious moment as well, make a choice to trust God. There are those who deal with anxiety as a regular malignant condition of their psyche and their spirit and their life. Many of whom would say, wait, I, I, you, what are you talking about? In that moment, I am overwhelmed. But there is no one who lives a life free from anxiety until he departs this fleshly substance we call our house and our vessel. In and before the moment of anxiety... Choose to trust God. Make a choice as to what you will do when anxiety comes, because it'll come. In my experience, at least, I trust yours is consistent. There are only really three conditions of life when it comes to being anxious or worried or or concerned or, or pressed in about something. There's the time before the anxiety, 
or the situation that caused it. There's the time you're in it. Then there's the time you're out of it, which, by the way, repeat step one. Now you're before the next one. In the anxious moment, make a choice to trust God. In the anxious moment and before, choose how you're going to deal with it. Make a choice as to exactly how you're going to deal with it. In the anxious moment and before, commit to following through on the choice you made as to how you'll deal with it. Here's some ideas in Scripture to flesh that out a bit. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. You are not alone in the anxiety. You are not alone in the anxiety. God's affection for His people was so great that He sent His Son to wear a crown of thorns. And He sent the Spirit which plugs us, pulls us, plucks us out of the world, is calling us in this very moment to receive His love, His care. What does Peter say? Cast all your anxiety on Him. Why? Because you don't have anywhere else to turn? No, because He cares for you. Choose to trust God because He cares for you. One preacher I like to listen to used to famously quip, God loves you and so do I. You know, and there were times I would hear him and see him on TV years ago and I would think, what an audacious statement to make. God loves you and so do I. What are you, equating yourself with God? I don't think that was it at all. He was trying to say this. God cares for you and His love is present through the church. You are not alone. And we must live like it. Choose to trust God. That's a matter of the heart. Decide how you'll do it. And here are some practical tools. Pray. Pray. In the moment of anxiety, rather than allowing the images to flood your mind, all the possibilities to play out. You know, it's, 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 there's, there's no easier condition than being a parent to give you a ton of anxiety, is there? You know, I like to call babies tall because of their possibilities. But you know what that possibility also is? Someday that baby's going to walk, that baby's going to run, and that baby is going to fall down. And as a parent, we look at that and we think, oh, I want to protect them from everything and I'm so anxious and don't do this because it's going to lead to that, which will lead to that, lead to that. And then I'm going to be at the hospital, you're going to have your head cracked open. But it's not just raising kids that fills us with stress and anxiety and concern. In the moment, don't let the moment master you to such an extent that you can't turn your heart to the master. In the moment of anxiety, in the midst of anxiety, in the time of anxiety, turn to the Lord and pray. The Apostle Paul also says, pray without ceasing. And I'm convinced that's what he meant. Stay in an attitude of prayer because the world is going to be assaulting you. The battle of the spiritual warfare which confronts every Christian is primarily happening right there in our minds. And if we would fight and if we would stand up, we must drop to our knees so that we can conquer our enemy, the devil, who would tempt us into believing all manner of falsehoods, falling into all kinds of negative thought patterns and, and habits. 
We have to pray, and we have to pray in ways consistent with the Word. And we have to flood and fill our minds and our hearts with God's words. When the enemy is telling me how everything can go wrong, I must turn my heart to the Bible so that I can see that the God who keeps His promises has made an endless list of possibilities available for me and for you. Even for my kids that I'm afraid they're going to fall. And then they start driving and I'm afraid they're going to crash. And then they're going to go out on their own. And I'm going to be afraid they're going to fall. And I'm going to be afraid they're going to crash. Whatever it is that's causing the anxiety, you and I have got to trust the Lord, take Him at His Word, and turn our hearts to Him in prayer and to His Word. There is a wealth of spiritual power available to those who will invest their time and energy into gaining access to God at His Word. Do you struggle with anxiety? We all do at times. And a few of us do all the time. Spurgeon said it was kind of like this. We get our telescope out sometimes to look to the future. And we breathe on the glass with the hot breath of our anxiety. And then we think we see clouds and darkness before us. Rather than clouding our vision with our anxiety, which will always manifest itself if we focus on our abilities, our capacity, what we're capable of, our resources, what we can do. Rather than that, and I hope you'll remember this, I tried to make it memorable, gain God's gaze. I don't know. I like acronyms. I'm a Marine. Gain God's gaze. Three G's. This is not really an acronym. It's just G's. Gain God's gaze. Cultivate an interest and a willingness to see circumstances from God's point of view. Fill and flood our minds and our hearts with God's Word and then, and then believe in His promises. He's for me, not against me. He who began a good work in you shall see it through to the day of completion. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. The enemy comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but God has come in Christ so that they might have life and have it abundantly. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Fill and flood your heart and your mind so that in the time of the anxious moment you might turn your heart to the Lord in prayer and declare His Word. God, I know that You're for me and not against me. Even though my heart sinks now, I know that it's going to be lifted high when You bring victory out of these circumstances, when You do what You do best. So I want to gain God's gaze. View my life from His perspective. He loves me enough to send His Son to die for me. He, he, he cares for me enough to be involved in my circumstances. I have observed that phrases like relax or just trust God aren't very helpful to the person with anxiety in the moment of anxiety. There's something not to say. No, just relax. Why don't you know how to relax? To which the anxious person says, I don't know! If only I knew! And it isn't helping me to tell, for you to tell me to relax. But I have found in myself and with others in 
the midst of the cruel grasp, the cruel grip of anxiety. Let's pray. I have found a receptivity to that, and I have also found a fruit of that. Let's pray. Hey, I, I don't know any more than you do, right? Like, that's the worst thing you could try to do when somebody's riddled with anxiety. Well, here's how you solve it. It's like, no, hey, I don't know. Let's turn our heart to God. Let's just pray. Can we just pray? Let's just pray. Anxiety is cruel, and it cannot be cured, at least in so much as it is a condition of life, always coming at the believer and the unbeliever. But it can be managed and mitigated with prayer. And finally, a concluding thought. Peace comes through positive thinking. Take great care of your self-talk. Am I the only one who talks to themselves aloud? Anybody else? Talk to your... Come on, you're among friends. Yeah, right? That's right. When you argue, you can talk to yourself. When you argue with yourself, you have a problem. Uh, well, I, sir, have a problem. Among many, my wife would say, among many. Be careful about your self-talk. Be cautious what you fill it with. They don't love me. They don't care. Oh, they're always doing this. It's so terrible. Peace comes through positive thinking. Constant negative self-talk or negative reinforcing thoughts or, or looking to the wrong sources to fill our minds with will keep us trapped in anxiety. Peace comes through positive thinking. One writer I was studying recently calls it getting beyond inferiority thoughts. I really had to unpack that to make it make any sense to me. You know, what this particular writer was talking about is, is the person who, who never sees God as his champion and therefore is always convinced that victory is impossible. We've got to kill those thoughts, take them captive, as the Bible says, because peace comes through positive thinking, and that comes through thinking God's thoughts. You see, I'm not talking about just like some positive thinking that's on the level of optimism. Optimism is often a foolish path because it's positive thinking with no foundation. But what I'm talking about is the follower of Jesus' ability to trust God and take Him at His word and then fill His and her mind with these promises and these truths. And you can do that in a number of ways. You can listen. Who, who watches TV as they go to sleep? Don't raise your hand. Some of you might be embarrassed to say, oh, watch TV, watch endless episodes of CSI or something, right? Let's say you're watching CSI or some other, some other show along those lines. As you're going to sleep, you're filling your mind with all kinds of ideas. Now your mind's going to process them at night. What if, as you're going to sleep, you actually tuned in to some earbuds or some music on your television or a radio or something like that on your laptop, on your personal device, and you listened to someone saying the Word of God? What if you flooded your mind with the Word of God every night before you fell asleep? That might have positive consequence. What if you do, like I do, and open up a Kindle and start reading God's Word and then drift off to sleep thinking of God's Word? Be very cautious what kind of thoughts you allow in and what you allow to control you. Because those thoughts form patterns. Those patterns form reactions and actions. Those reactions and actions form what? Habits. And habits are what trap us in negative thinking if those habits are rooted in negative thoughts. You know, I love watching the NASCAR guys you know, Rick and Bob really love watching the NASCAR guys. And, uh, you know, watching the NASCAR guys when they change the tires. And they change a tire in like 11 and a half seconds. I once sat by the side of the road changing a tire for like 11 and a half hours. And they can do it in 11 and a half seconds. 
And why can they do it? Because they've done it a thousand times. They've got muscle memory. They figured out exactly what it took. They took changing a tire to a scientific level and observed everything and cut out every negative. Listen, what's more important than our own peace with God? Let's approach it with a scientific attitude, a, a careful study, a philosopher's study of the Word of God, a theologian's interest in the Bible, and then apply it to our thinking. Make a choice how you will deal in the anxious moment, how you'll deal with your thoughts, how you'll deal with yourself, and then let's decide how we're going to react. Prayer, positive thinking. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 says, We tear down arguments and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Those invasive thoughts, those negative thought patterns, maybe we inherited them from our families, maybe we just cultivated them and nurtured them our whole lives, and now we're stuck with them. We can pull those weeds, but we've got to take them captive. We've got to treat them like the invaders that they are. Positive thinking that is rooted in the Word of God it alone opens up the blessing of peace. Listen, I'm going to conclude with this thought and pray for you and invite you to go as you go today. Let's say, considering how the Word of God can change our thought life. We've got to tell one another over and over again that God will rescue us. We've got to tell ourselves over and over again God will rescue us. God is our victor. Years ago, Christina and I and the kids were driving uh, down to a, oh, like a, uh, like a missionary flight place, and we were bringing this dog, and we were going to put this dog with a guy who was going to put it on a plane to ship it down to a man in Haiti who wanted this security dog, this gigantic German shepherd. That when Felicity was, she was very little then, she didn't like him, so she would crawl on the table and then jump from the table to the kitchen counter. And then from the kitchen counter, she'd hide behind the refrigerator anytime he was near. And she was like two and a half or three or something. And I'm like, why don't you like the dog? He's a nice dog. And she says, I don't like him. And she's just a little bitty girl. And so we were driving, and uh, we had our Chevy Suburban back in those days, and, and we packed that thing out pretty good. And uh, we had another missionary with us, and we had Stone the Gigantic German Shepherd. Well, the gigantic German shepherd had marked his spot on the seat already. So he wanted to sit right in the middle. And the thing about him was you weren't going to tell him no. He was super sweet, but he was so big, he just nudged you right out of the way. So this other missionary with us, who was a friend of ours, she was trying to sit in that seat in between a couple of the kids, but the dog wasn't having it. So she drove from, like, southern Virginia to south Florida sitting on the hard floor in between the seats. And every time she, I'd say, tell the dog to get down. You're a, you're a grown person. Sit in the seat. She would try, and he'd just give her a look. She'd stay right there. And then she kept saying, how long till we get there? And I'm like, stop acting like a little kid. Stop asking me when we arrive. I'd say, we're almost there. And she'd say, this hurts. I'm uncomfortable. When will we get there? And I'd say, we're almost there. And we were like in North Carolina. And I'm like, we're almost there. Now, at the time she spoke fluent Creole, mine was just coming out, and she said a phrase to me she knew I'd know. You always say that. Now, in this instance, I was trying to comfort her with an empty promise. We're almost there. I want to encourage you today to comfort one another 
to comfort yourself by the promise of God that indeed we are almost there. We are always almost at the place of rescue if we will turn our heart and our mind over to the will and to the word and the worth and the weight of God's power in our lives. Listen, there is nothing we are passing through that a time of prayer, constant prayer, praying always, and thinking positively about the rescue that is on the way from God cannot pull us out of the pit of anxiety, even if it has to happen a hundred times in a day. Pray. Invest in the positive promises of God. Amen.